Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome along to today's edition of The Profile with me, Justin Briley, and my guest today is Dr. Simon Stewart, the new Executive Director of Arosha International. And don't forget, if you'd like more interviews with Christians in all walks of life, uh, you can find them in the magazine that promotes this particular program, Premier Christianity com for their website and go to slash free sample if you'd like to get a free sample copy of the latest edition of the magazine uh, you can find today's interview over at the profile podcast as well that's premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile uh, simon welcome along to the program today um it's, it's great to have you with me um arosha international you've been involved for quite some time i believe um do you want to tell us a little bit about the organization Yes, so Arosha is a um, an umbrella of um, 21 organizations around the world, and Arosha International is the organization that links them all together. Um, it's a Christian organization that seems uh, seeks to demonstrate God's love for creation, and uh, we do practical conservation act- activities as part of our worship of God. So we're more than just a think tank, although we do do theological work and um, uh, we do um, uh, preaching in churches and things like that. But we try and live it out um, practically on the ground through conservation activities. That's right. Um, How many countries does Arosha work in, do you know? So we're formally involved in about 20 countries, but we have informal arrangements through through many more. Uh, but it's, it's about 20 at the moment. And, and when was it founded? Founded in 1983 uh, by Peter and um, Miranda um, Harris and uh, by another couple, the Batties. And actually, I first heard about it because I was... Um, as a very young person, in I went to Greenbelt in 1983, and there was a little stall run by Les Batty, Les and Wendy Batty for Arosha, and I signed up and got on the mailing list then, and was ever since. But I didn't get involved properly until much later. Yes, and, and nearly 30 years later, uh, 40, nearly 40 years later, <laughs> um, uh, you are, of course, the, the new executive director. Now, this comes sort of as a bittersweet appointment because, of course, um, we had the, the tragic um, events just over a year ago uh, when Peter and Miranda Harris, as you say, the co-founders of Arosha, along with um, Chris Naylor, who was the international director, and his wife, Susanna, were all involved in a terrible road accident in South Africa. Um, Miranda, Chris and Susanna all died in that. Um, uh, Obviously, that must have sent and continues to send really shockwaves through the whole of the Russia community and and Christian conservationism in general. What what, what has been the the sort of what's happened in the past year as a result of those events? Goodness, it's hard to know what to to say. Um, I would say a um a few days after the tragedy when um when we knew that uh, chris and susanna and miranda were dead and peter harris was fighting for his life um unconscious in a hospital in port elizabeth south africa um we were due to have an international trustees meeting of arosha um and um inst- we obviously couldn't hold that meeting we were everyone was too traumatized but we mm. we instead um met uh, at St Aldate's the trustees who could make it um uh Arosha staff and the Harris and Naylor families bravely came along to that uh, meeting in St Aldate's and we just prayed and cried really um gradually over time um we sort of um, got ourselves organized. We held really moving memorial services to Chris and Susanna at their, at their um, church out in the Cotswolds. And um, uh, then, then at St. Aldate's um, for Miranda in, in December, 
and P Peter was able to be back and attend that service. It was pretty grueling in some ways, and yet we were also able to give thanks. Um, the finance director of Arosha International, David McKay, uh, who was planning to retire, really sacrificially stepped in to uh, take the helm and run um, Arosha International during the subsequent year and, and has um, steadied the ship, as it were, and graciously um, uh, given his time to, to help the leadership transition. Um, and that resulted in myself quite unexpectedly um, and without um, um, initially planning to do so to become um, uh, uh, executive director just starting on the 1st of December, in fact. And so, so, so that's what's happened. I would say that um, the Russia family around the world is still grieving, but also moving forward. And uh, we see signs of hope in, in many places. Mm. Perhaps we'll return to to what their contribution has been, obviously, um, over the decades, and um, and and really, yes, what the future of Arosha is uh, in in terms of the legacy they've left. Um, but let's go back to the beginning for you, Simon. First of all, which is what we always do on the profile. Um, did you grow up in a Christian household, um, or, or was that something that came to you later on in life? Later on, really. I, I mean. I went to a. Um, I was brought up in a household that went to church, uh, went to a rather formal church, and I was a choir boy. Um, uh, I was very influenced by um, uh, scripture lessons, as they were called in prep school in Bournemouth, um, where um, we learned all the, the whole storyline of the Bible, um, and I loved that very much. Um, so, so by the time I was 13, I pretty much knew my Bible, um, even though I wasn't um, formally taught it in church or at home. Um, uh, I, I would say the family were to some extent sympathetic. My, my father had a, um, a Jewish background, um, although, I mean, he was half, half Jewish, but, but uh, they had left Judaism completely um, before the Second World War. Uh, so, um, so that was my background. It wasn't mm. explicitly Christian in the sense of your meaning, I think. No, well, well, we'll find out how it did become explicitly Christian later on, but obviously, uh, you, you seem to have had a passion for nature, ornithology in particular, birds. Um, and this, this was in the context of growing up in a fairly rural part of Dorset, wasn't it? Yeah, I um, I was very keen on birds, also reptiles and amphibians. Well, pretty much everything, really, um, from very small. Certainly, by by the time I was six, according to um, my parents, I was um, uh, heavily into everything to do with natural history. Um, so, yeah, that was very much part of my life, um, and uh, I received a lot of encouragement from adults around me. My my parents. Um, proactively put me in touch with people who could teach me more. They very much encouraged this. And then at uh, secondary school, at Camford School in Dorset, I, um, I came under the influence of a biology teacher who taught me an enormous amount. And he is um, still alive and I'm still communicating uh, with him. And well, I mean, not everyone develops this particular passion. Um, what, what was it, do you think, that made you feel so much that you wanted to get out into nature and, and not just to do that, but to, to document it, to understand it um, and ultimately to make sure it was conserved. Because I understand even from a very young age, you were quite taken with the fact that some species were dying out and, and under threat and so on. Yes. Apparently I was making, making lists of species threatened with extinction when I was very small and stuff like that. Um, and I was reading books and things like that. I can only assume that this is how God God made me, um, uh, because um, I don't think I uh, my parents initiated it, uh, but they encouraged it once it started. Um, so I can only assume that this is how I was wired. Yeah, obviously that carried on um, into further education. Um, can you describe sort of where that passion took you when it came to? you eventually, you know, moving into more sort of academic ways of um, 
cataloging and, and looking at nature and conservation and so on. Yeah, so when I when I got to Camford School, uh, this teacher, Tim Hooker, and now long retired, of course, um, he, in addition to doing formal biology lessons, he ran a natural history society. So he taught us, um, and th there were several of us um, uh, who were very keen. I wasn't the only one. And so there was a certain amount of uh, peer encouragement as well. A lot of peer encouragement, in, in fact. And he took us on natural history camps. He taught us pretty much everything, birdsong, um, how to catch snakes, um, uh, how to identify which fungi were poisonous and which ones could be eaten. Um, it, we, we learned an enormous amount. He now claims that we were teaching him <laughs> as much as uh, he taught us, but I think he's just just being humble, to be honest. We learned a um, we we learned an, a, an enormous amount of, and and uh, that really um, set me up. Um, to look at natural history in a more scientific and a more um, rigorous way without losing the passion. And then he introduced me to the chimpanzee expert, uh, Jane Goodall, um, who is well famous person, of course. Uh, he was friends with her and that resulted in my going out to uh, Tanzania in my gap year mm. uh, between um, school and going to Cambridge. And um, and that and then I developed a love for for Africa and a broader understanding. He also uh, got me and a colleague to go on an expedition to Shetlands as well. That was a little bit earlier. So we were enormously blessed and encouraged and had mm. privileges that frankly weren't available to most people. Yes, what an extraordinary start to your career, being able to know Jane Goodall and the um, the extraordinary work she does that was of course uh, so so well known in the media. Um, you went to Cambridge to continue studies, um, but you not only, you know, bumped into many more people, obviously, and possibility of experiences uh, in terms of biology, but also cr Christians uh, there. What, what what sort of changed at Cambridge that, that went that meant your faith went from something that was obviously there was some awareness of Christianity and, you know, pretty good understanding of the Bible. But um, obviously it flourished into something more. Well, I think um, I was always interested. I, I always loved the Bible storyline, though I didn't understand the significance of it at the time. I, um, I mentioned a teacher in prep school who deeply impressed me. There was another teacher um, at, at Camford School, my secondary school, a chemistry teacher who um, deeply impressed me by the... Um, by his genuine nature and he was he was well known to be a christian um and uh, that i'm sure encouraged me in the right direction as well and then um when i got to cambridge i i came across students who were christians and was deeply impressed by um their their genuine nature the fact that they weren't just trying to impress people um they dared to be different um uh, but but were human as well, and um, so I guess I got into a good crowd, you could say. And the um, uh, woman who was to become my wife much later, um, and she um, uh, was part of this, the same group. She also wasn't a Christian, but was deeply impressed by Christians. Became a Christian a few months before I did, and so I think that um, that's what um, led to it. I, I I think the years. Before I, went, before I went to Cambridge were all good preparation to make me well inclined mm. to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the, um, the witness of the people, and to be honest, it was their lives more than what they said mm. that, that, that mattered. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's what led to me making a commitment at the end of my first year at Cambridge. Interesting. Um, I mean, did you sort of have any struggle putting this newfound faith together with the science that you were obviously studying at the time? Um, trying to remember now. Um, I don't think I had huge great struggles, to be honest. Um, I guess I couldn't. I just couldn't see what the problems were. Um, the um, Later on, um, as... Um, 
society became more aggressively secular and we had much more in the way of um, supposedly scientific attacks on faith, then I guess I had to think about it some more. Mm. Um, but not really so much uh, during my time at Cambridge. To be honest, there were quite a lot of Christians um, yeah. uh, uh, who were scientists and had no problems being uh, rigorous scientists and also Christians. You went on to do further work in Africa, didn't you? Can you, can you describe some of the projects you were involved in? Yeah, I went on to uh, do my PhD field work back in Tanzania. I studied a uh, community of, um, by community, I mean, um, the whole, all the birds that existed in the forests of uh, what we now call the Eastern Arc Mountains of Tanzania. This is a whole set of mountain ranges that runs down the eastern side of Tanzania, where there are many species, including bird species, that occur nowhere else in the world. They were very poorly known at the time I went there. I was even involved in the discovery of a new species. And um, so I, dis I studied these birds and their susceptibility to habitat change. Um, and that was my PhD field work. I completed that in 1983, actually the year that Arosha was founded, interestingly mm. enough. And um, uh, I then started working for BirdLife International and uh, working on the um, African Bird Red Data Book, which was the first official listing of all the threatened birds in Africa and documenting why they were threatened. So I started that work in 1983. We completed that. Uh, two years later. And in the middle of all of that, I also did field work in Cameroon, looking at uh, threatened bird species in the mountains of Western Cameroon as well. Uh, so I did, did all of that really leading up until 1985. Yes. Um, when you say you discovered a new species, um, does that still happen? You know, have we catalogued everything that's out there now or, or oh, are we no. still discovering new things? Oh, not close uh, to, to discovering everything. So I think about one new bird species is discovered a year. Um, birds are the best research group of um, um, animals. Um, uh, mammals, the many more small mammals are um, discovered each year. Occasionally, even a large mammal a new species gets discovered though that is very seldom now I, I did hear just the other day that a new species of whale has been discovered recently interestingly and you'd think you know that's that's a pretty that's not just a little beetle uh you know that's that's a pretty big item to have uh, thus far gone yes. undiscovered but yeah yes although you you do get um it gets complicated because you get what we call um species complexes which mm. are a name we put on a group of animals or plants that we know to be more than one species but to do the rigorous work to separate it out into its component parts takes a long time and that's of been course. going on with whales but yeah. but to give you another example amphibians which is a group i work on probably around 150 new species gets get discovered a year gosh that's a lot of species what what i mean as a christian sort of how, how what how do you approach that do, do you just see this as God's, you know, abundance, God's creativity. What, what's the way that you think of that as a Christian? Um, I think uh, it is that, but it also shows that um, a creation, as we call it, um, uh, as Christians we call it, um, is much more um, complicated and diverse than we ever imagined. Um, so... Uh, so what God has brought into being, I believe, obviously, through uh, not through a seven day process, but through a much larger and more complex process that we call evolution, um, is far more complicated. Um, and I think that says something, um, um, you know, it, it's hard to understand what God has made. It's very hard to understand. We're gradually doing it. That's the process of science. And um, and. Um, uh, and it says something about the nature of God. I, I guess that he's he himself is um, um, a much more much more 
complex than um, than and and wonderful than uh, we realize most of the time. Obviously, when you've been out in the field doing the work, you've been there, you know, as a scientist to to do the research. But have you had those moments? I don't know in Africa or other parts of the world where you've just had a sense of the awesomeness of creation that, 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 that have spoken to you perhaps beyond just the, you know, the science that you're doing, but of the, the God behind the science. I think that's a, um, to be honest, I think that's a regular experience for all people who work in nature, whether they have a faith or not, you have that sense of wonder. Mm. Um, and I, I realize that that points to the creator but i think every uh, biologist knows that and um it's it's something that drives us on and it's not just um a um uh, a dry science it's driven by a passion um in in the chapter i wrote wrote in the book that sam berry edited in real scientist real faith i i um, point to an experience i had on uh, mount oku in cameroon where um uh, I, I just felt um, the trees of the field clapping their hands in the sense of Isaiah 55 as I sat on top of a mountain peak one day. Um, and um, But I think uh, that sense of wonder never leaves um, uh, the, the, the scientist who studies nature, um, whether or not they say they have faith. Mm, yes. Um you say that it was really through meeting Peter and Miranda Harris and who obviously were the founders of Arosha that you started to, to integrate more your Christian faith with the sense of actually the way that God has, you know, created and given us charge to look after that creation uh, that Christianity isn't simply about getting souls to heaven, but it's about something much bigger than that. Do you want to sort of describe that, that journey you went on? Uh, yeah, so I I would say that I always saw my um, conservation work as a calling in some loose sense. Uh, I've always felt that the jobs I've done have been callings, but um, what I um, uh, came to realize as I got more involved in Arosha was. Um, that the Bible spoke much more to caring for creation as being part of our worship of God than I had realized. So, so, so what happened is when I was working for IUCN, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature, which is the umbrella body of nature conservation, when I was working for them in Geneva in 1999, um, I was phoned up by... Um, the person who had recently become chair of the board of Arosha International and asked if I would be interested in meeting and Peter Miranda Harris. Of course, I knew who they were because I was a member of Arosha. I was a passive member. And so um, I um, and my wife, Anne, and I, we were readily enthousi enthusiastically agreed to meet Peter and Miranda. Um, and that was the beginning of a journey for us where we started to see um god's work and uh, the work of christ um in that much broader sense of uh not only saving humanity but also renewing all of creation in the sense you find in romans chapter 8 um and um and uh hadn't i think it's true to say hadn't really grasped that that fully um, at that time. And of course, it only um, started to dawn on us slowly. Um, and so, so now I see um, conservation work as part of worship in a way that I hadn't seen before. There is, if you like, a um, sometimes a felt tension between some forms of Christianity and environmentalism and conservation work christians who say well it's all gonna burn anyway god's gonna you know uh god's gonna take us all away this this earth will be no more um so what's you know what's the point of trying to conserve and you know you know jesus will return and we won't need to worry about all this stuff 
at some point. Uh, so it's interesting. So uh, uh, as a family, we lived in uh, Washington, D.C. from 2001 to 2006. So we um, that um, and we worshipped at the, at the Presbyterian church there. Um, and that obviously exposed us to a much more, if you like, right wing, politically right wing form of Christianity than we'd ever encountered in Switzerland or in where we were living or um, uh, in the UK. Um, that said, I don't think anyone has ever said to me, it's all going to burn, therefore we don't need to care. Um, and um, no doubt there are people out there who believe that, and you, you sometimes hear hear people um, uh, um, say that. But but I have to say, no one has ever said that to me. And and I've come across many politically conservative and politically liberal Christians who are passionate about about conservation. Um, yes, I have sadly seen in recent years some more politicized forms of um, uh, Christianity uh, get into climate change denying and things like that, which is sad to see. Um, but I personally have um, uh, not ever had anyone come to me and say, it's all going to burn, therefore we say, <laughs> you know, uh, we don't need to do anything. Perhaps. I mean, but there, there is a strain within certain, as you say, forms of Christianity that, that are um, sceptical, let's say, of climate change claims. Um, there was a quote from a sermon by John MacArthur um, that was circulated uh, quite widely a couple of months ago, though I'm not sure exactly when the sermon was preached, but in which he said these words, God intended us to use this planet, to fill this planet for the benefit of man. Never was it intended to be a permanent planet. It is a disposable planet. Christians ought to know that. I mean, what's obviously you haven't got the full context for that quote, but but what's your sort of response to that kind of a way of thinking about the planet? Um, so, to my understanding, and I'm not a theologian, I'm I'm a scientist, I'm not a theologian, but to my understanding, uh, the New Testament talks about the renewal of creation, and um, and it will obviously go through, and we are putting it through. Um, uh, some pretty uh, painful times in which there is a lot of death in this planet, not just human death and misery, but death of species, death of ecosystems, poison, plastics, climate change, all, all the rest. And this may or may not be judgment. Um, uh, that's beyond my pay grade to know uh, uh, as not being a theologian to, uh, to say. But what well, I think what is clear is um, uh, from passages like um, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, is that creation will be renewed. And it's not some ethereal, um, out of the body um, uh, experiences, is, is what eternal life is going to be made, but it's going to be physical, physical clearly in a different sense from the way we experience physical things, but nonetheless physical. And um, so I, if uh, I don't know the context of that 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 quote, but um, I think if we take the fact that creation is going to be changed and renewed as a license to destroy it, I say we are not glorifying God in doing that, and we are not witnessing to Christ as a lover of His creation, and I think we are not um, uh, portraying. Christ in a good light to non-Christians if we behave like that. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Profile with me, Justin Briley, in conversation with Dr. Simon Stewart, the new executive director of A Russia International. And we'll be back very shortly. Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. 
The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to this week's edition of The Profile with me, Justin Briley. And The Profile is brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like to get a free sample copy of the latest edition of the mag, do go to their website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Uh, always interesting interviews <clears throat> that you'll find in the magazine and always interesting interviews here on The Profile week by week on Premier Christian Radio <clears throat> and via our podcast as well. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Simon Stewart, the new executive director of a Russia International, which is uh, really the major Christian conservation creation um, charity uh, globally. Um, we've talked about your background researching conservation, ecology and so on, Simon. Where, where do we stand now? If you could paint a picture for us of the sorts of threats that currently exist towards uh, biodiversity, um, various animal species in the world, um, what, what's your What's your broad brush picture of that? Okay, um, that's a big question. So humanity is living massively out of balance with the planet. Um, And the demands we're making of it are completely unsustainable. And in particular, three demands we make of the planet are demand for food, demand for water, and our demand for energy are all out of balance. And those over demands, some of which are caused by wastefulness, um, in fact, a lot caused by wastefulness, um, are driving a whole set of crises that we now face. Uh, So we have a crisis of inequity and poverty in the world. We have a crisis of climate change. Uh, We have a crisis of disease. Um, not just affecting humans, by the way, the other pandemics out there. Um, and we have a, a crisis of biodiversity loss, as we call, call it, extinction and the, um, the um, uh, um, loss of nature um, and others that we could come up with. And these are basically driven by humanity demanding too much too, too carelessly. Um, and the result of that, when we look at um, uh, biodiversity loss, is we have rates of extinction that are at least a thousand times higher than we experienced in the geological record. And we now have 40% of amphibians globally threatened, 26% of mammals, 14% of birds, which is the least threatened group, but still 14%, um, 33% of corals, and many others. Um, and that is because of our impact on the planet. We hear a lot about this, and obviously before the pandemic became the big news story globally, we were um, regularly hearing about um groups like Extinction Rebellion, making very visible protests, um, often controversial protests, um, but equally many significant characters. Um, David Attenborough, of course, really sees his legacy in his final years as as warning through various documentaries and other means about the danger that we face, not just to the survival of various animal species and plant species in the world, but humans themselves. I mean, do, do you do you see that as being a sort of, you know, a possibility that humans themselves could be driven to the edge of extinction if things carry on as they are? I don't know about that. Um, predicting exactly what's going to happen um, is 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 tricky. Um, clearly, we're cre- we are creating inhospitable conditions across the world in which many people are going to suffer we're we're changing the climate uh which which could be very serious for people but you know so many unthing unpredictable things happen that to say that species uh, humans will go extinct and and uh, that's how god's judgment will take place or whatever i'm you know i'm not certain i can say that um what i can say is the way we're behaving 
is disrespectful of our fellow human beings. It's disrespectful of the wonderful animals and plants and fungi and things that we've been uh, uh, given the um, privilege of sharing this planet with. Um, and it's most importantly um, dishonoring of God. And so that's what I can say. And it's leading in a bad direction, carrying on behaving as we are. I can say that uh, with confidence, both the science and the theology point in that, um, that, that, that direction. And we as Christians have to be in front in terms of um, 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 really taking a lead and saying we must respect each other and the non-human creation in a way that honors God. Do you think we've time to, to turn the tide? I mean, uh, we, we often hear we're on the brink. There's only X amount of years before we can no longer turn the tide on global warming and so on. A lot of people almost, I think have, have an, uh, yeah, almost a, an attitude that, well, it's going to happen. Um, what's your view on that? Um, uh, lots of views. Um, well, first of all, as Christians, we have to do it because it's the right thing to do, even if there isn't time. Mm. There isn't time isn't a good excuse um, because the faithful thing um, uh, to do is to, is to honour God. And we should act to do the right thing for, uh, the, uh, for creation whether or not there is time. So that, that would be my first, first res response. Um, uh, secondly, uh, the climate change, which is only one of the big threats mm. um, facing the, 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 the challenge, uh, facing the planet. The big challenge here is that the longer we delay, the, the more we have to do and the more time we need to do to, to rec rectify it. So the climate change challenge is particularly urgent and we absolutely cannot delay and so Greta Thunberg some people might see her as extreme but actually she's right she is right we absolutely have to um to act because the time is now it is not tomorrow that said the driver of extinction the biggest driver of extinction right now probably isn't climate change it is probably habitat loss driven by agriculture, at least for terrestrial extinction. Mm. Um, and it is also um, unsustainable demand for fresh water um, is also driving extinction in freshwater habitats. Uh, so one of my um, uh, big beefs that I put out there is we are so focused on climate change now, and that is great, that we are forgetting the other drivers mm. of, uh, of, um, of unsustainability and uh, biodiversity loss in the planet. So one of the big problems we have now is a general belief that hydroelectric power is green. It is not green, except in very rare circumstances. It is the biggest driver of uh, freshwater extinction out there probably, or at least one of them. Mm. And, and, and so, um, so it's fantastic that the UK have stopped um, investing in um, uh, um, funding overseas um, uh, um, carbon-based um, uh, energy, but the, the same has to apply for hydroelectric as well. So we have to look at things much more broadly. We must include climate change in that. It is especially urgent, but we have to look at all the other threats as well. The problem, of course, is that like so many things, <clears throat> these things become politicized, don't they? And um, a lot of people, um, I think, have decided that, well, environmentalism, um, cons conservation issues and so on, they're, they're just in the sort of the radical left wing, you know, bucket. And uh, that's, you know, and, and it's probably all overblown. And, uh, you know, it's it's just all those uh, Greta Thunbergs and Extinction Rebellion extremists that, uh, that, I mean, is there a problem there that in a way those issues have somehow been now associated with a particular political stance? What do you think? 
Yes, I think it is very unfortunate if conservation becomes um, aligned to one political ideology. Um, it's actually good that the current UK government, with some people who I think would be seen as very definitely right wing, um, have, have advanced a conservation agenda very strongly. So um, uh, Zach Goldsmith, for example, has in this government uh, pushed a strong conservation agenda and um, and he is definitely not of the same political persuasion as some other strong conservationists and that is healthy. That's what I want to see. I want to see conservation not in just one political camp, I want to see it across the political spectrum. And um, and um, I think if we look at the political parties in the UK, frankly, none of them can really show off in terms of their historical record and conservation. They all come across as pretty weak, and the um, and the uh, they all have to get much much stronger in this, and they all have to advance a strong conservation agenda that is not just a climate change agenda. It has to be a comprehensive conser conservation agenda that must include climate change. Uh, so that's what I would like to see. Yes, the problem, is, I suppose. I don't know whether you agree with this, but maybe comes ultimately down to the human heart. We're all pretty selfish, frankly, at the end of the day. And we do tend to prioritise our own needs and we don't tend to look at the broad impact that we have. Um, we are able now more than ever because of people like yourself and the research you do to see what that impact is. But the question is, are we willing to change the way we live and, you know, the inconveniences that will bring into our life? Um, because obviously that that means changing the way we act and so on uh do, i mean that's the battle i suppose at the end of the day isn't it how how much we're willing to do to see these these issues changed yeah that's true and and we're all to blame um on this of course um and and our our, our lifestyles um but what are the consequences of not doing it Mm. Um, so are, are, are we going to um, take responsible decisions now that might include some sacrifice or are we going to be forced into even more radical sacrifices down the road? Look, I mean, look at the pandemic. Um, mm. it's, it's forced us to make sacrifices that we had no intention of making uh, because and, and, and the pandemic um, and uh, a lot of disease in the world has come from poor environmental management and um, uh, poor treatment of animals, put it bluntly. Mm. There are, of course, you, I mean, you, you say quite rightly, Christians should be at the forefront of um, responding. And because of their you know, belief in a good world that God has made and the care he's given us to take care of it, um, pushing for these issues. Uh, and yet at least the way it often reads in the media sometimes um, it almost seems the opposite, you know, that very often uh, Christians seem to be among the most likely to be skeptical, for instance, of climate change. I know that's not the only issue out there, um, but there, there does seem to be, as I say, because the issues have become politicized, um, there are significant blocks who, who are pushing back and saying, well, hang on a minute. How do we know that, uh, that humans are having this impact. Um, you know, climate has historically changed over the eons. Um, uh, they may cast skepticism on the idea that humans are having, in fact, the, the impact that, uh, you know, many people say they are. Um, what's your response to that? I'm not expecting you to sort of go into the, the technical aspects of this, but um, it, it is a, it is. It's a significant number, I, in my experience, of Christians who who do question the scientific narrative in this regard. Um, what What's your response to that? I would say, if there are any Christians uh, listening to this broadcast that are doubting the science, then step number one is you must always look at science through peer-reviewed science and not through sources that are biased, politically biased. And if you want a uh, 
dependable, uh, rigorous explanation of the science on climate change coming from a Christian, then the place to turn to is Catherine Hayhoe. And, um, and her work as a leading climate scientist who is an evangelical Christian, the wife of a pastor in Texas. And um, look, go to her website, Catherine Hayhoe, and read some of the um, stuff she's um, put out there. That is dependable. Um, and and uh, is th that is important. I'd say something else as well. Um, and, and, and that is, these issues are in the end about life and death. Um, if we continue to um, ignore climate change and ignore other environmental problems or not do enough, because I think it's no longer the case that we're ignoring it. It's the case now is that we're not doing enough. Then people are going to die. Disadvantaged people are going to die. People living um, in much more difficult situations than we are. So this is not something to play around with. Um, this is now serious. And it's just like um, if, if a large number of people in this country decide not to get vaccinated uh, uh, against COVID-19 uh, because they've been persuaded by unscientific anti-vaxxers, they put other people's lives at risk by doing that. I'm afraid climate deniers are doing the same. This is not funny anymore. This is not something for armchair debates. This is serious. And Christians really need to um, step up their game on this. Please visit Catherine Hayhoe's website. Of course, uh, there's Arosha itself, um, where you can find out more about the work that the organization you've recently stepped up to lead um, is doing. Um, what are some of the sort of practical ways? I mean, often often we can look at these huge world-changing issues and feel what possible difference can I make? What difference can Christians make uh, when they get involved with the work that Arosha does? What's, what's the sort of on-the-ground things that can make a practical difference in, in their own locality? I mean, there's so many things um, that can be done. One thing uh, you might want to do is join um, Arosha UK. I think we have a UK audience here, so... Um, I'm now running a Russia International, but we also have a Russia UK um, and uh, um, contact them and find out what can be done. Um, a, a Russia UK runs the Eco Church program. So that's one thing you can do. And they've also got a new program on Partners in Action, which is looking about what you can do in your own institution or your own setting. So those are, are very good things to do. Um, and there's a lot of material and resources um, uh, on the Arosha website. There are books that have been written by people like Dave Bookless that give you very practical ideas. Um, so there are plenty of resources on the Arosha website, Arosha UK and Arosha International and elsewhere. Um, and uh, try and find other like-minded Christians. There are an increasing number of us in the churches. Mm. Yes, arosha.org um, is the place to go, and that wherever you're listening in the world, um, perhaps to the podcast, uh, you can you can actually uh, find links to your nearest uh, organisation that's in, uh, going to be working on these issues. Um, you were recently honoured yourself, Simon, uh, with the Blue Planet Award. Tell us what that is. The Blue Planet Prize um, is a prize. Two are given out each year, and um, it's a prize that is awarded by the Asahi Glass Foundation, which is a Japanese uh, foundation. And it's um, a prize for the um, people working on the interface of science and um, environmental issues. Uh, so I'm one of the two winners this year. So it's been a great honor for me. And um, I've been able um, in some of the interviews to mention my Christian faith. It's obviously not a, um, a Christian prize in any sense. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to be able to use some of the prize to advance Arosha's work as well. So, so uh, that's uh, what it is. Mm. Um, I mean, what what would you say you know we, we we've only had really a, a brief idea of of 
of what your research has involved in the course of this interview. But what what would you say are some of the fun, you know, the most important contributions that have been made? And and, and don't be modest here uh, regarding the way that you've you've been able to catalogue and look at, um, you know, various aspects of uh, conservation, some of the threats to various species around the world. Well, I got the prize for two pieces of work. Uh, one was the work to develop the um, the system by which IUCN, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, for which I used to work, uh, measures the extinction risk of a species. And that's what we call the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species. So the lead scientist on that work was the late... Uh, um, Professor Dame Georgina Mace, who passed away this last September, uh, very sadly. Um, and she was the lead scientist on it. And I was the staff person at IUCN who supported Georgina. And I um, did the sort of backup political and negotiating work to get the scientific work through the system. Um, and uh, she was the one who kept me scientifically honest. And I was the one working to um, make sure that the scientific advances that she and her colleagues were working on could get through, um, could be adopted by the conservation, conservation movement broadly. And between us, we succeeded. And, and now we have um, over 120,000 species around the world assessed by that system. And that is being used to uh, channel where money goes for conservation, it's being used to make sure that money from governments and the corporate sector doesn't damage nature uh, in the wrong way. Um, it's being used in um, to drive scientific research in all sorts of ways. So that's the first thing uh, that I received the prize for. The second thing was my work on the amphibian crisis. So amphibians are frogs, toads, uh, salamanders, newts, and a few other things. And um, uh, the work I did in the early 2000s was to um, look at the amphibian crisis and to try and understand why these species, well, how threatened they were, where they were most threatened, and what was driving the the threats. And that's where we um, we demonstrated how severe amphibian disease is to amphibians. So we're, we're panicking because of a pandemic, right, among humans. But amphibians have had a pandemic going on uh, since the 1980s. And it's affecting hundreds, if not thousands of species. It's a fungal pandemic rather than, rather than a viral pandemic. And, um, and so I, um, was, I led the work on that. Um, had over 500 scientists involved and that's the other reason why I uh, received the prize. Well congratulations on the prize um, albeit work that obviously it reminds us again of of some of the crisis issues that that exist in in nature and and given that you've got such a front row seat to so many of these concerns um, do you remain optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Do you, where do you see God at work in all of this? What's, how do you kind of, you know, put this all together as a Christian in terms of believing ultimately that somehow God is, God is in control and that, and that God's purposes will be, will be worked out eventually. Um, it's always so hard, isn't it? To to look at something and say that was God, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. I, I think, I think um, that, that is, sometimes tricky um what i can tell you is that um, many christians working in conservation feel encouraged by god um uh, in their work um feel him close um and know that we're honoring him in that so 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 in that sense yes i can tell you that i guess that isn't that that it would probably be very similar to what a Christian working in the medical profession feels. Mm. Um, I can also tell you that without um, the current conservation effort, even though things are getting 
worse in the world. I can tell you that without the current conservation effort, things would be, would be much worse than they are now. I was involved in a team that um, uh, did some research a few years ago where we looked, we took an example, we looked at the world's ungulates, that's things like cattle and deer and goats and things like that, um, that um, all, all the wild species, and we looked at what would have happened to those species if we'd stopped all conservation measures in 1996. It was a thought experiment. Mm. And over a 12 year period, from 1996 up until 2008, we found out that on the IUCN red list, those species, their status would have been eight times worse um, uh, had it not been for conservation action that took place in that 12 year period. Another way of putting that is the conservation that was done was incredibly effective. Mm. There simply wasn't enough of it. Right, and uh, so the but so the little bit we did really made a big difference. It slowed the rate of decline of these species overall, and it brought about a recovery of some of them. Of some of them, so so that to me is also a sign of hope. Hmm. We can we can do things. A, a year on from the the very tragic death of Miranda Harris and. Chris and Susanna Naylor, um, what, what do you hope will be the legacy as we enter 2021 um, for Christians who want to continue the work that they began? Um, well, um, Miranda Harris um, was someone who demonstrated God's love to people in a very practical way. If you're ever in a social gathering and... Um, Miranda was there, you would see her in some corner in deep conversation with somebody. And you could be sure that that conversation would have a life-changing experience on the person being spoken to. She did that time and time and time again. And after she died, um, so many of those stories have come out. And she allowed herself to be used by God uh, to... Um, to uh, help all sorts of people in that sort of way. Um, Chris and Susanna Naylor, um, uh, they led for many years Rocha's work in the Bekar Valley in the Netherlands. They work, uh, sorry, in, 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 Le in the Lebanon. Um, that was difficult work. Um, sort of obvious isn't it mm, mm. and that work continues long after they left it that flickering light of christian engagement in conservation in the middle east um that chris and susanna led continues they chose to do the difficult thing not the spectacular thing it was god honoring and that continues and i believe that flickering flame will continue to burn and um uh it in some senses looks unspectacular but in another sense is, is very significant and as we know from countless stories in the bible that's how god works isn't it mm. well let's hope and pray that more people take up the mantle um and the the example that they have left uh, as a legacy to us um yeah absolutely and and i suppose ultimately do you do you do you find yourself optimistic that um christians will do this that 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 we will see change in our lifetime yeah i think i am optimistic about that one i think there is a change at foot um uh, i think especially among young christians mm -hmm they nearly always want to see these sorts of changes. And of course, the future is in the young. Um, I think we haven't got enough of the theological teaching that um, I've been blessed to receive in my very privileged life. Um, we haven't seen that spread through the grassroots in the churches enough anything like enough around the world. It's probably happened more in the UK 
than most other countries. But we need to see much more of that. Mm. And I would like to see a Russia and other organizations really promote that at the grassroots level among ordinary Christians about how we look at the Bible and see um, uh, our responsibility to creation come out from the pages of the Bible. And the more that is done, the more we're going to see Christians behave differently. But we're already seeing it starting to happen. If you want to find out more about the work of Arosha, uh, go to arosha.org. Uh, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you, Simon, about your role, your new role as the executive director of Arosha International. But as you said, um, chapters, as, as it were, exist all over the world that people can get involved in. Uh, all the very best for 2021 as you step into this new adventure. Uh, and uh, our prayers and blessings go with you. So thank you for being with me on The Profile today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Profile with me, Justin Briley. If you'd like to listen back to today's show, do check out our podcast at premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. And don't forget to get hold of your sample copy of Premier Christianity magazine as well by going to their website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample for the moment. Thanks for being with us and we'll see you next week.